welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, friends. I'm coming to you today a little weary, quite a lot tired, and also very moved and just feeling a lot of collective love that I want to share and reflect back. Today, in some ways, I acknowledge that this chat might be a little heavy, but I also think that it can open up so much empathy for someone in your life if you aren't immediately coming into it with it resonating as to your story. And I'll say, I'm not going to share many details of um, my brother-in-law's story, the GoFundMe, I'll link in the description. You can read the details over there. But for me, you know, the word influencer is kind of an, you know, has a lot of connotations and um, it's not something I would normally use to describe myself. But in this context, I would say that for a lot of traditional influencers, it really is about following their life because their life is pretty or interesting or something. And that's why I don't consider myself an influencer in that way. I'm a teacher. I'm here to take what I'm learning in my life and I'm with rare exceptions, like, yay, I'm engaged, meet my fiance. Like with rare exceptions, I'm here. I see my role in the world to see what I am learning from my own life and share it if I feel that it is applicable to bless yours. And that's why I want to share my experience of the last two weeks and three days, I guess, at this point. Um, One step removed from the center of a traumatic story, and that could be illness, injury, loss. But yesterday I shared on Instagram stories, I'll link that uh, video below as well. I'm sorry, I shared on my Instagram profile the news that uh, my 26-year-old brother-in-law, the youngest of the eight siblings in Jeremy's family, was in a mountain biking accident and fractured his C5 vertebrae, which is up towards the top of your neck, and was instantly paralyzed and given a 1-2% chance of ever getting out of a wheelchair, um, which is... I mean, it's the opening scene in Friday Night Lights for anyone who is of of my age and uh, loves Coach Taylor and Tammy Taylor and Tim Riggins and the whole clan from the Friday Night Lights show. It is the opening nightmare scene where the quarterback gets sacked and can't get back up and is in a wheelchair. I mean, it's the movie moment that just has you sobbing from the beginning of that show. And it's the moment that you see in TV and film. And I think for anyone, you know, I've been thinking about how no family, every family is blindsided when this happens because you never think it's going to happen to you, not from a place of cockiness and feeling like you're above it. It just is so incomprehensible to imagine that this would be your life that you you never think about it. And if you do think about it, you you don't even know how to process it. You don't even know what thoughts you would have about it. And so when it happens, there is this sense of shock. 
and it's kind of an out-of-body experience because you feel like I have seen this on social media. I have seen this in TV and film, but blessedly, I have not been through this. I have watched this as the observer. And yet yesterday in sharing, I'm recording this on Tuesday, I shared this on Monday, um, I was so overwhelmed by the amount of people that this is your story. And this is one story. A spinal cord injury is one story. Then you've got traumatic brain injury. Then you have burns. Then you have cancer. Then you have, I mean, there's so many different injury, illness, loss. Um, This is just one story. And I couldn't believe the amount of messages I received of like, follow this account. This happened to my friend. This happened to my husband. This happened to my brother. And I just thought like, man, you just, none of us, we don't realize how common a certain experience is until it happens to you. And then, and again, it's not because you're not being empathetic. It's not because you're living in your bubble or anything entitled. It's just you you can't know until you know. And there would be no value in torturing yourself trying to imagine what all these scenarios would be like. Um, so it's wise not to. And yet in my case, I can't think of one friend I've known in my life that that had a spinal cord injury. I've known people that had traumatic brain injury, that were in a coma, et cetera, and that may have been a part of their rehabilitation, but it was more so a story of a of a head injury and a head trauma. And you know, we are so blessed that that is not the case in, in Aaron's scenario. There's been absolutely no brain damage, but I have a, a little bit of experience three different times in my life being in the third circle of this. And if you are new, I will link um, my third circle grief episode below. That was from during the pandemic um, when Amanda Klutz's husband, Nick Cordero, was sort of one of the more famous uh, examples of someone battling uh, the coronavirus. And Amanda and I were on a Broadway tour many years ago. And so we talked about this concept of third circle grief that I kind of described it as, you know, for First circle is like you are right around that person. Second circle is like kind of immediate family, close friends, extended family. Third circle is like, I know this person from work. We go to the same church. Like we don't, we don't text off it. We're not like going to out to meals, you know, one-on-one, but I certainly know them. And then I'll also link an episode I did more recently on fourth circle grief, which was when, um, uh, Dave Hollis uh, passed away or Twitch Boss um, took his life in this sense of, I don't know this person, but but I am feeling impacted by this, whether this person was my age or friends of friends or just a very shocking circumstance. And you just find yourself like, I didn't know this person and yet I'm thinking about them often. Like, how do I process that? And I, I just think each one of those has been... And it's so interesting because I have shared a lot more about grief since um, August of this year, which again, I'll just say if you are um, brand new, it's an awkward, and I'm saying brand new just because I know some people had shared yesterday and I was hearing from people who were saying I'm new to you. And um, and also because I envision this is the sort of episode that 
you might pass on to the one person in your life that this really, you know, speaks to. And so I've been sharing about grief and it's an awkward situation where I am not legally allowed uh, yet to share what my situation has been. And um, while that seems awkward, odd, and uncomfortable if you are a new person coming in because we want details, right? We want to understand, like tell me the circumstance. I have, have actually felt like it has been such a holy season and it is hopefully coming to an end in the next couple of months. We have a second legal, legal hurdle, hurdle to clear. But um, I actually have realized that if I hadn't been forced to be silent, I would have shared and that would have been fine. But so many less people would have seen themselves in my grief because th- then people are going to be like, oh, that's not my circumstance. I feel for her, but that's not my circumstance. And I almost feel like God has used this season as kind of this holy time to say, all you can speak about is the feeling of grief without any circumstances or details. And because truly the circumstances and details ultimately don't matter because what is universal is the feeling of grief. And that feeling can be because you walked away from a career you loved that you realized was never going to happen or your partner left you after a long-term relationship or your beloved pet died. I mean, there's so many different kinds of grief. And if we just talk about the feelings without the circumstance and the facts, everyone can see themselves in it. So I've been speaking a lot more about grief since August because it's been my story in this deep way. But it's interesting, that third Circle Grief episode was back in COVID when we were processing that, that season of grief. And I really didn't think about the fact that I have therefore done sort of like I, I did this episode on fourth circle grief, third circle grief, and now I find myself in, you know, what I would describe as like one and a half circle grief. Um, because uh, to me, I would describe that the the people at the center are the person that something's happening to, and basically either their parents or their spouse. Like if this is your child or this is your spouse, you you are right in the center. Your entire life has stopped. You do not live anywhere other than that hospital. And you know without even having to think about it, this is this is the reality for the rest of my life. You know, where even a close friend, you could kind of grow apart 10 years from now. It doesn't mean that you aren't going to be deeply ingrained right now. But when something happens to, in this case, my my husband's brother, I'm aware this is my future children's uncle. And what's, what's their story going to be? Are they going to grow up with an incredible tenderness of heart for those who aren't able-bodied and for those with disabilities because they, they've seen it since such a young age? Are they going to grow up so tender in that way? Or are they going to grow up with phenomenal faith because we live in a house of miracles and they know the story that their uncle was told he would never walk again and he came back. I mean, both of those will change the life of our children. You know, that becomes a part of your story. It will change Jeremy in ways that I I don't think we know yet. And um, a lot of people have asked how he's doing. And I think like, I don't know that this is particularly gendered, but I think stereotypically, like a lot of men, um, he very much compartmentalizes and is 
slow to process his feelings. And I think, again, it goes back to this sense of of shock, of you just... how did this just happen in, in our lives? Like last, you know, last night, nothing was, was wrong. And then today, this is one of the dominant stories that we're living in. And, um, it it just, it's hard to comprehend. I think it's hard because we haven't been there yet. Um, and which we, we will be soon. I'll talk about that in a minute, but, um, I think not being there it also, you still are more removed. You're seeing things through a screen. And I just think it is different when you are physically there. So I think the the members of the family that have gotten to be there are, are likely had a, a just a, are, are, they're just more in the experience. You know, you are physically there rather than mentally trying to think through it. Um, and so in both of those, you know, previous episodes, third circle grief, fourth circle grief. What I've emphasized so much is I think that when something happens, we are so hesitant, so many of us to to share because we know the center has it worst. And I think this is true in so many different aspects of grief that we, we are inclined, again, from a good and kind heart to think about comparative suffering and to say, I don't have it as bad as these people. Or you're afraid someone's going to judge you and think, you know, someone else has it worse. Why are they complaining? Why are they making it about them? Something. And we just, we, we don't want that to be true. And I know, even for myself, I really struggled with, you know, I'll just speak to anyone who does feel like I'm, I'm in circle one and a half or, or I'm even more, you know, is this, is it my is it my place to share? Do I have permission to share? In my case, like my brother in law is not really on um, social media. No one else in the family has a big social media, you know, presence. And so, even though they were saying, you know, please share with your networks, I was just like, I don't. I'm a little unclear. I just want to be super hesitant. Is it the same? Is it one thing for a sister to share on LinkedIn that, you know, I don't know how many contacts she has over there versus me going onto my Instagram platform? Like, and it just feels so vulnerable and so personal. It's almost just like, oh, it's just the most intimate thing to say. This person cannot move. This person is trapped in their body. I just felt such like, I just don't want to, you know, overstep. And so I didn't share until my sister-in-law said like, we, we really, we need housing. We need meals. We need donation. Like we are, we are drowning here. It is round the clock care. Like, so if you would be willing to share, we would so appreciate that. And then it was like, okay, I felt like I needed the blessing from the first circle because again no one had it's one thing if someone has publicly shared like when I shared yesterday and, and if if you repost it on your social media you don't think that's so generous you don't think twice about it cuz I've shared the news and it's just hard even to think do I want to share other people's news you think like you know if you work in a bigger company you're like do I want to tell my whole company that this is happening does that feel personal for me or you know there's just oh there's so much that goes into it but i just want to say that when illness, injury, loss, when that affects one person, when something happens to one person, it affects instantly 50 people that are close to them, right? Like their, their 
spouse, their significant other, their kids, their parents, their siblings, their in-laws, their aunts and uncles, their close family friends, their immediate work colleagues, their best friends. Their, I mean, it just instantly, 50 times the amount of people are being impacted who are in that, that circle, circle one and a half. Circle two. There's so many people who love the few people because it's also not just the person who it happened to. So it's not just Aaron, but it's also both of my parents in law, you know, because they are right at the center of it. So it's everyone in my mother in law's Bible study and everyone in my mother in law's book club and everyone on both sides of, you know, those extended families. And it's, you know, it, it instantly impacts all these other people who care about the one, two, three people right at the center. And I just was so shocked by the volume of messages and accounts that I received. And they were all from people who were in circle, you know, they weren't the person. I don't think I heard anyone, ah, that's not true. I may have heard from a few people who said this was my story, but the but predominantly, and a couple people who said this was my spouse's story, but predominantly I was hearing from people that were in circle one and a half, two, three, four. This person in my community, I don't know them. My, you know, my, my brother-in-law, I'd be happy to connect you with him. And I just thought there are so many people that are the caregivers, that are the energetic and emotional support around the people at the center, that are having their own emotions and experiences, even when they aren't close enough to the center to feel like it's helpful to that person, it still is just your experience. And I just thought maybe we need to have a conversation today for the people who aren't hearing themselves in those stories and are feeling impacted, but maybe you're feeling a little bit of guilt at, I'm listening to all these podcast episodes, but they're really about the person or the, the, the person right at the center. If it's not the person on the podcast, it's their significant other or it's their parent. It's not this thing happened to my brother-in-law and I'm on the podcast episode. So maybe you're not hearing yourself in that way. And I just thought I, I want to have a, a conversation sort of from the sidelines for anyone who has been there in the past that feels seen in this, who is there now, um, or who will be there one day too, or who has a close friend that is in that place. And it it hasn't occurred to me, I don't want to say it hasn't occurred to me, but of course just whenever you experience something or you hear someone really give you the play-by-play and the specifics of it, you realize I haven't grasped just how intense that is. I haven't grasped just how complex that is. I haven't grasped just how layered and nuanced that is. And something I've been thinking, you know, we have this one grief story that I haven't legally been allowed to share. We have another just long story that we're in the middle of that just sometimes when you know you're in the middle of a long story, you just don't want to talk about it publicly because then it just feels like an exhausting play-by-play. You know, even like we've been in a long story of like where we're, where we're going to move to one day or something. And it's like, we were sharing that at one point. And then I would get questions for the next year. Like, Hey, how's the move to Mexico going? It was sort of like, Oh yeah. I didn't really update people on like why that fell through and why it wasn't, you know, going to work, whatever. So in the midst of all of these stories, it's now the third 
long, long story that Jeremy and I are carrying together in our lives. And I was leaving a voice message for a friend the other day and I was explaining that each one of those stories has so many layers to it. And I'm sure you can relate. Like say your story is about fertility and you're like, it's the you know, if, if you're trying to naturally conceive, I've heard friends um, share this, that like if you're trying to naturally conceive, it's the weight on your marriage of like, are we always talking about this? Is every time we have sex, is it like to, you know, accomplish this thing? Like there's that weight of it. There's other people asking about it that makes you uncomfortable. There's, do I have any like resentment towards my body? There's the, we're trying to plan for the future. We don't know what our timeline is. I mean, there's so many different layers within the grief story. And I just have had so many friends that have, whatever the national statistics are for fertility challenges, it is double in our world. I think it's like, you know, one in four women have a miscarriage. And I'm like, how is it two in four of our friends? Like, um, and it, um, that's just one that I've gotten to walk a little more intimately because I've heard from so many friends over the years to understand there's so many layers to that grief story. And so I want to share some of those today. I have, I like jotted little notes. I have eight, eight things in no particular order that I just want to share. Here's all the different elements that someone might be walking through in hopes that it helps you feel seen and understood in what you've walked through or helps you see and better understand um, someone that you love that's walking through it. So the first one is helplessness. That there's just, there, there is so often so little that you can do. And especially in this day and age when we are so much more spread apart than we were decades ago. We have so many of us the incredible privilege that we have gotten to choose to go away to school, move to other states, move to other countries. And so especially when you are far away, the incredible helplessness you feel by not actually being there. And the second one that's tied to that, a lot of these are tied to each other, but the second one is whether it is your immediate family or extended family. You know, when it is your immediate family, as in, again, it is your child, like my father-in-law, there's something called the Family Medical Leave Act or something, like legally you are allowed to take leave for a certain period of time and they can't replace your job, but it's unpaid. So number one, it means they have to be in the financial position to be able to do that. And, oh, friend, the... I think I, one of my sister-in-laws in particular, I think just it's really weighed on both of us. Jeremy does not come from an affluent family. Um, no, no one in in um, the the family is in that position. And so it is not that we are coming from this like incredible place of means and affluence, but nonetheless, just having health insurance in this country is such a privilege. And just my father-in-law being okay financially to take a three-month leave of absence. I mean, the number of families that are living paycheck to paycheck and that just wouldn't even be an option. Like, I think um, if you are wired as a deeply empathetic person, which I know a lot of you are, which is why we're friends, um, that that just absolutely weighs on you. So it's such a blessing that he could do that. But my husband is not going to do that because it's like he has a wife here and we have 
a, a, a pet here and whatever. Like we have a life here. Now his sister, one of his sisters did immediately move there. She is single. And I think that really allowed, I mean, the, the sister that is closest to Aaron, um, again, she, she has a job. She has a husband. She has a five-year-old. Like it lives across the country. I'm sure in her heart, she would love to be there every day. But it's because, and if it was her child, she would be. And if it was her husband, she would be. But if it's her closest brother, as much as she loves him, she can't not be able to pay the mortgage for her family and not have her child, you know, taken care of and whatever to be there. And so I just, especially because I'm one step removed as the in-law, I think that's also why I wanted to talk about this because I think it's almost hard if you are so close to the center, like if you were that sister that it, that you are the closest one to the brother in the family, but you have a child at home and you you can't go. I want to give you permission that I see from an out from a bystander perspective that makes sense. That makes sense. There is a difference between your immediate family and your extended family. And as soon as you are married and or partnered, and as soon as you have a child, there there can be an element that all of a sudden you realize my sibling is not my immediate family anymore. They were my whole life, but they are now my extended family. And if something happened to me, my sister has three kids. She's a, a full-time stay-at-home mom. She 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 would come for a week just like my sister-in-law did but she she wouldn't be able to move here for 3 months like and i just want to there is i just know there is someone that needs that permission today to know you are an amazing sister and that you should not feel guilty and that that makes sense and that it is excruciating to realize you are sort of ranking your priorities in that way and you know one of these long stories that Jeremy and I are walking through there is a lot happening with it right now. And it is just, when I can share it one day, it's just like, oh my God, the, the timing of everything that's falling together is so much. And I had to say to Jeremy like a week ago, I, I need you to choose our immediate family. Like he, he wanted to fly out there right away. And, I, and it was just at the t- same time that stuff was happening here. And I just said, this is a marathon, not a sprint. If this was, was a funeral, which thank God it's not, you, you drop everything and go because that's a one-time event. But this is a marathon, not a sprint. And we're going to need family members there every week. And I know your heart wants to be here, but I am, am asking you to prioritize our immediate family and please be here. And then yesterday, he said it to me. And that was really fascinating because I had just posted and I'm getting all these messages and I just spent the entire day working on cultivating them and I'm feeling such weight of responsibility that people are messaging me things and saying this is all this is time sensitive you got to get on this right away immediately do this immediately go to this place immediately get this treatment and and all from a good place I'm not saying that people were giving false scarcity it just was like this is feeling intense and now I'm the one in the family that has this information like and this could affect my my brother-in-law's quality of life I don't I don't want to be like sorry I had to work I got back to it on Saturday you know I just was like I got to get in here but then I was just so in it and there was something else that we needed to do. Some, some, um, and Jeremy just said, like, he said to me, I need you to prioritize our immediate family over our extended family right now. 
And I thought, wow, the fact that, in, that it's even his extended family and he is realizing that as we toggle back and forth between how do you rank these priorities? Another um, brother in the family, they got uh, 30 days notice that they have two kids. They got 30 days notice they needed to vacate their home and it was in the middle of the month. So they were concerned they weren't going to be able to find another place in the middle of the month. So suddenly they had two weeks to move. This was, when was this? Was this the same weekend that Aaron's accident happened? Was it three days later? I mean, it was just at the exact same time. And I just, it's like, I, you know, I want to want to give the him and another that who's listening in your own scenario, scenario permission to say, you have to find shelter for your family and your wife and your children. And you have two small children. And again, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So get through this month. You found a place, you're packing up, you're unpacking, get settled. And then ask, okay, now when can I take the next shift and when can I help? And I think the third one is also in-laws and friends. I have been thinking about how I feel as an in-law, I think is really similar to how it must feel to be a close friend in this scenario. That you just, like for example, one of Aaron's best friends is flying in next week. He's going to stay for a week. I mean, truly close friend. He's out of state. But I thought yesterday, I don't think he's on the WhatsApp group. It's it's like family friends and it's like one local friend who's kind of the contact with everyone at work. But like, I don't know if, if, if that friend is in there, they haven't identified themselves. Like, I, there's, you know, it's a big family. There's a couple of phone numbers that I'm not sure who's who. Like, I think that's an in-law. I think that's a sister's boyfriend. Um, but I thought here, this person is so close to Aaron. They're going to take a week off of work, fly there and get on, you know, get on a plane and fly there before members of the family even have. And yet he's not on the WhatsApp group. You know, I don't, I don't think he's not on the, the family Zooms. He, he's not as much in the mix And I think, and then as an in-law, you know, I think there is such a, there is such a bond of family. And I, I want, because I have friends that are only children. I have friends that are not, you know, close to their, their, their parents, friends that have small families. And I want to say that friends can be like family. And again, they absolutely can be, I think it's, but it's a very unique scenario that I think as a friend, it has already occurred to you in April, as it has to me, okay, what are we doing at the holidays? Like, we alternate holidays, which one we spend with my my family for Christmas or Thanksgiving, and then the other holiday, because Jeremy's family is so big, people are all spread out, there isn't really a big gathering, people tend to see each other in like smaller groups all throughout the year, and so that's not really part of our cadence, is to be like, okay, great, where's everybody gathering? And it's instantly already on my radar. Obviously, we are going to Aaron for Thanksgiving wherever he is. I think that's going to be a really powerful time of people coming together because it isn't prioritized every year with such a big family. Like almost no one lives in the same state. Everyone's spread out all over the country. Again, not a lot of means to just be like, sure, I'll buy a bunch of plane tickets throughout the year to go, you know? Um, Not huge houses where everyone can stay. So it makes more sense to kind of go in smaller groups if people can't afford hotels and all of Airbnbs all that so the fact that you just instantly think when something happens in March okay this changes what we're doing in November or December 
I, I think that is more of a family instinct right away. Now, again, I could see thinking this for my best friend who does have a small family. I could see thinking, okay, I got to Like, that is where my head goes. But I have other very dear friends that I would be thinking, well, their family will, you know, their family will be there or their spouse's family will be there. Um, as I said, you know, thinking about the, um, the, the impact on our children one day. And again, just to be like extra, extra clear. I don't mean the impact is in like, oh no, this has impacted my children. Like I'm not prioritizing that over Aaron. I just mean it's just not, not even negatively impacted them. Both of those things I shared, I actually think are really beautiful things that of course I would never have have wished for, but the fact that your mind goes there is maybe not, you know, where it goes as a friend. Um, and it may be that size matters in terms of if there's a bigger family and there's more of that support in, in having eight siblings and I think half have, you know, significant others and there's like a, an older child and things like that. It's like too many people to have conversation. Like you can't get everybody on one chat. So now you've got lots of little chats going on to fill people in. But that means, I mean, it literally said to Jeremy's dad, oh, um, the oldest sister um, told me that, and I'm just not using names for privacy, but I didn't say to him, your oldest daughter. But anyway, he's like, oh, oldest sister told me that she's moving to Utah tomorrow. And he was like, oh, um, okay, I don't know what we're going to do with the dog then. I didn't know that. <laughs> I realized like, oh, he's moving to Utah in two days and he's thinking that the oldest daughter that lives near them will take the dog and like they haven't even communicated. That's how fast things are happening. I'm informing him that one of his children is moving states. Like, And he's like, I didn't even get that news yet. So I think that is part of it that maybe in a smaller family would be different because to me, and I just... I just know I'm not the only in-law out there who has thought this, that I'm like, am I being too active in the WhatsApp group? You know, I shared earlier about social media. I'm just like, am I overstepping? Am I sure that like, I just, I I don't want to be the, the leader. I don't want it to, like, I just, you're just, I'm just so conscious. I am on level 1.5. I am not the immediate blood sibling and I need to not make it seem like I am, seeing myself on that level is my experience. But if it was my fan, if it was me in this position, I have one sister and a brother-in-law. And so there would be five adults. There would be my parents, my sister, my brother-in-law, and my husband. And I cannot even comprehend that my brother-in-law would be thinking, oh, I don't know if I should speak up. I mean, I would just think, great, there's only five of us, like all in. Everybody share your ideas, share your skill sets, share your organization. But when you've got like 15 people, some people have to be more quiet and other people have to lead. And if there aren't natural leaders, then it's like nobody's leading because nobody's sure who should lead. And I think there's such a desire to want to help and want to use your gifts. I mean, someone's going to relate to this. There's a marathon happening in Salt Lake City. One of the sisters was like, I, I'm going to run the 10K and raise money for the um, research, the, the rehab facility that he's at. If anybody wants to come out and another, and another sister said like, we should make you a shirt. We should make team Aaron shirts. And we're like, oh, that'd be great. We're like, actually, even for people who aren't going out, like that's just a cool way to kind of support, show, send photos to him, have people be like, oh, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm part of this somehow. I feel like I'm team Aaron. Like I got the shirt, you know? And so I get this vision for the shirts and I, which is not, 
anyways, basically he had this like floral ski mask on in these photos just just two weeks before the accident. Jeremy was out in Utah. Brothers, dad, four of them were skiing together doing the snowboarding trip and he sent a photo of all of them with their ski masks on. You can't tell who anyone is, but I joked when I FaceTimed with them that I was like, well, I knew which one Aaron was because he was wearing this like loud floral face mask. And I was like, he would be the fun one that's wearing like the funky print. And um, so I was like, what if we did like these like floral, cool floral shirts with like white block letters that say Team Aaron, it's totally going to stand out at a race and Aaron's the kind of guy that would stand out. Like he, he wouldn't be... Uh, you know, he'd be unabashed about being like, yeah, I'm going to run in like the loud, colorful, fun outfit and like bring the party. And my sister-in-law was like, oh my gosh, I love it. Guys, the number of hours that I spent trying to find (laughs) these shirts, uh, they do not exist. There are not patterned shirts for like teams, braces, anything like that. So I'm like searching. I find, uh, I'm, I'm searching like dance team shirts, team softball shirts. Like I'm trying to think of any other thing I can put into Google that's going to give me like patterned, floral, flowers, tropical, like anything. And something I Google brings up like family reunion shirts. And I see this shirt on Etsy that is a, a cool logo basically of mountains and trees, which he loves the outdoors. That's why he moved to Salt Lake City and it's got a sun. I'm like, that's hope. That's a bright future. And then it's it's supposed to be like Lake so-and-so and like the city and the date or whatever. And instead... I made it like Team Aaron and um, this phrase that he's been saying that I absolutely love. When the PTOT come in, they'll often say, are you feeling up for it? And his response is, we're here to work. And I just love that because he's like, I am here to get better. So I'm not going to be too tired. Like I'm going to do something. That is literally the only reason I'm here is to do this. So I'm I'm going to push through and do it even if I'm not feeling great, etc. So they say like team Aaron, we're here to work. I have this idea in the gym, you guys, like I so I'm going down to the gym, but then I'll like run on the treadmill and that'll be over and I'm you know thinking I'm going to do more like planks and whatever. But then I just sat there for half an hour like hunched over, probably poor posture while Jeremy's working out, like di- like still searching for more shirt things, finding this shirt. I said to Jeremy, if your older sister likes this, um, this is, this is the greatest accomplishment of my week. <laughs> like, cause I was just so determined. We were just, the older sister was just about to go down the route of like, there's a local place here that prints like, you know, run shirts. And I was like, this is just going to be ugly and cheesy. And it's not going to be Aaron. It's not going to be his friends. It's not going to be cool. People aren't going to want to wear it. It's going to be a one-time thing. And I was just determined because of course I'm like the style one that like, I'm going to get him something flipping cool because you know what I would not want is to be in a hospital room surrounded by people who are wearing ugly shirts (laughs) and Aaron has style and we're going to have cute shirts. Gosh darn it. So I am like, this is the greatest accomplishment of my week. It's just like, I want to do something. And this is a gift that I can give is making a piece of clothing that is aesthetically pleasing, you know? And right now I'm feeling this just like pull of like, The mindset work is so important. And really, if you're a 20 something, you know, young 20 something guy, do you really want, like, are you really impressed that your like oldest brother's wife is basically a mindset coach? Like, and that this is what she does? Like, I don't know if he wants my pep talks. I don't know if I'm just gonna sound like, you know, probably in his eyes, some like middle-aged woman just like up there giving her TED talk and if this is like completely uninspiring or if like 
this is what I've done for a decade in my work and I should at least try, you know? I'm just like, do I get on FaceTime with him and just be like, listen, are you in the mood for a pep talk? Because this, I just, I need to say it. Especially after hearing your messages yesterday, the number of people that just said, it is 98% about the mindset. There is all of this other holistic treatment and yes, explore it and do whatever your finances will allow. But the absolute biggest thing is to be in an amazing facility, which he is, and mindset. And so I just, and he's been really struggling with mindset the last few days. And I just like, and so I like I was literally just having this conversation with Jeremy. I said, now that we found out that this brother isn't going, should we bump up our trip by a week? Because there's part of me that just like wants to get in the room with him and maybe maybe I'm self-aggrandizing. Maybe I'm thinking that I'm going to make a difference, but I'm like, this is what I do all day. It's what I do in my elegant excellence community. It's what I do in my DMs. It's what I do with everything I create. Like I'm just trying to help us have a, a better yet more realistic mindset to genuinely help ourselves in all of these areas of life. So I'm like, I don't know. You just have this sense of like, am I, am I overstepping? Is this, you know, what I want to do? So what I'm called to do. So I just want to acknowledge that is hard when you're in these outer circles. And I I just don't think I'm the first person to wrestle with it. And I don't have the perfect answers yet. I think if someone else said it to me, I would say it cannot hurt to share. And, and your heart is coming from a great place. And as long as you are being sensitive that you don't want to overstep, you won't overstep. As long as you're being sensitive that you, you don't know if this guy is going to respond well, you're going to be paying attention to the body cues to be like, this isn't landing. I should wrap it up. Or... This is this is making a difference. I should like keep going and lean in. So I think I I would say to you, trust yourself. I trust your instincts. And so that's what I'm gonna say to myself right now. Thank you for holding space for me to talk to you so that I could um, also coach myself. The fourth thing is guilt. Um, the guilt that you aren't there and therefore you are living your life. And what I have said in so many other scenarios, I mentioned this on stories today that what I would say when Ukrainians who are based in the US would reach out to me when the war was first breaking out and saying like, I just feel so guilty living and having joy when like my friends and my family and my people are there going through such atrocity. And I've just always said, choose the joy you want them to be able to choose because you know, to, it's not selfish if you want the same for them. And this is true of so much. Like as long as what you want for yourself, you also want for people of all races, all income brackets, all physical ability to be able to do, it's not selfish. It's your definition of a full life that you are championing for everyone. You are declaring this is what living fully feels like and that's why I am advocating for this you know for these laws it's why I am donating to this it's why I am educating about this it's why I am praying for this it's why I donate to this it's why I what I want is for everyone to have what I have for everyone children to go to a safe school for everyone to live in a safe neighborhood, for everyone to have the medical care that, you know, the insurance that my brother-in-law has. Like all of that is saying it is not selfish. It is squandering your privilege, your freedom, your life to hold back on it 
because you feel guilty that someone else doesn't have it as long as your heart is for them to have it as well. And so I just am trying, I mean, you know, of course it makes you grateful for the small stuff. I mean, I just, I just took off a layer of clothing because I'm hot and I, and I was able to do that. I was able to just regulate the temperature of my body right now without having to go ask somebody else to do it for me. Like, that's a privilege. I, I've i been thinking every night and every morning when I wake up, like Jeremy and I have a good, you know, like a perfect spoon, um, you know, position in bed. And I just think I can elect to roll over to my side and I can feel this sensation of my husband's legs behind my legs. And right now, Aaron can't feel sensation in his legs. When I hold Jeremy's hand, I think I can feel the sensation in my in in my hand right now. And um, just just today, Aaron got sensation, um, or last night in um, in his thumb, which is his first of his his fingers to um, to come back. So just those little things, I am being grateful for, and I am just taking them as a reminder to just be like. Just I just get this vision. I just put my hands at the back of my neck and I just picture this healing there and I just feel it like rate like I just kind of take my hands and see it radiating all throughout my body, just like complete and total restoration of his body. And I just use it as a moment to to pray and to just, you know, declare what I believe to be true. Um, the fifth thing is the mental drain. The mental drain especially if you can't compartmentalize, you know, there's definitely pros and cons to how all of us are wired, right? If we talk about like our Enneagram or our different personality types, we can all say the fact that I'm like this is great in circumstance, certain circumstances and I it not so great in other circumstances. So Jeremy can compartmentalize and on his birthday was, was Friday and um, we went out and we were just kind of like bar hopping. We were just kind of checking out different rooftop bars in New York City and and we walked into one hotel and there was uh, jazz that was happening just like right on time. There was one table left. It was awesome. We sat down. We're like enjoying this jazz. And Jeremy leans over at one point in between the sets and he goes, how many times since we left home have you thought about Freddie? <laughs> Freddie Cappuccino is our cat. And I was like, I actually just thought about him. Like, I was like, once. I can't remember what it was that made me think about it. And I was like, what about you? And he was like, yeah, I thought about it just once earlier. But then like in the last half hour, I've thought about it multiple times. I've thought like, oh, now's about the time that we'd be feeding, I'd be feeding him. Now's about the time that we'd be playing, whatever. And what I didn't say to him back was how many times have you thought about Aaron? Because I kept thinking about Aaron but I didn't want to bring that up because I I hoped because he can compartmentalize that he is not thinking about Aaron. I'm hoping that this is a respite from thinking about Aaron and this is giving him a reprieve. But I was thinking about Aaron. And even just like writing these brief notes for the podcast, it's like three different times I went out into the living room and was like, okay, one more thing. If your brother isn't going next week the, the that weekend then maybe we should swap our weeks and like just you know my, my brain just I can't just focus on all right I'm doing this conversation for and about caregiving I just I, I'm also thinking okay wait what about this action plan what about this to do item I'm like 
Wait, sorry. I just remembered. Did your mom message back that woman who wrote about the Airbnb? Because this morning I hadn't seen the message. And just would you text her? Because I just want to make sure like we're, we're we're respectful when we get back. Like just your my brain is constantly thinking about the things. And that is, we, we are from afar. You know, multiple times a day I'm checking the WhatsApp group and we're not there. And the amount of weight, even just yesterday in spending my entire day in the DMs and trying to, to organize all of, and synthesize all this information and pass on action steps. And I just thought, this is how my mother-in-law and a sister-in-law each different time that they've been there. And like now my father-in-law and that he's back. This is what they've been doing every single day. And my mother-in-law has been there every single day. Like she went up the first day and then she never left. My father-in-law went back to like prepare some things, figure out if he was going to take medical leave. One sister came immediately. She left. Another sister came. Another sister came. My mother-in-law has been there every day. And the a number of things you have to deal with in this situation, the number of decisions you have to make, medical, legal, practical, financial. It's like, like Aaron's face ID wouldn't work to get into his bank account. That's what he uses to sign in. And I don't know. It just did the, the angle of his face maybe because he's laying down and maybe therefore his face looks heavier because he's on his back and he's used to like being up. Like they just, they couldn't get it to work. So we couldn't get into his bank account. They had to, yesterday my sister-in-law said she had to make a note she had to write a letter that was worthy of being notarized and then they had to get a notary to come to the hospital. There isn't just naturally one there, which in my mind, I'm like, wouldn't you just have a notary that comes by once a day because this is a common thing, needing to get power of attorney, needing to you know get into bank statements or whatever. Um, and I also think, I just want to note this as well, I think in some ways it may be more complicated on a practical level if you are single and or if you don't already have these things, like I would just think if something happened to Jeremy and I, we've we've already got wills, we've already given each other power of attorney, we we are we share a bank account, like we know how to get into all of our things, we know all of our passwords. If you're single, no, no one else has your banking information. You, you know, if you're 26, you haven't given someone your power of attorney and things like that. And so that's just one other little wrinkle that I thought like. Actually, I'm thinking of this right now, to be honest, that I'm like, okay, I should text one of my best friends right after this who is single and say, get get these things in order right now. Like just give, just, you know, pay the $175 to just do this online, give someone power of attorney, make an emergency document, send it to your couple of best friends um, that, you know, you trust are not going to go into your bank account in the meantime and just be like, should something ever happen? somebody's got to know where all this stuff is. And I feel like we used to talk about that with, with the story often was we talked about it with women when their husband would die because traditionally the husband or when something happened to the husband because the husband was traditionally the one that did the finances and you'd have women that were like, I don't know where our money is. I don't know any of that. I actually feel like now this is a, a, word for someone that because so many more of us are single and are single later, um, where our parents are not even necessarily our main point of contact, um, that we, we may not have these things in place. And of course you don't want to ever have to use it, but should something happen, it's just how much work it is 
just to try to get, I mean, get, get his bills paid, figured out what bills he does have. How do you get, you know, just all of, all of the things. Um, and, you know, I'll also say it's, it's complex if you have, there's pros and cons if your loved one has a significant other. I mean, in my case, if it was Jeremy or I, I would be so grateful that we have one another. Um, but I, I've seen these, you know, stories before and had this thought that it's just, I am so grateful that Aaron doesn't have some girlfriend he'd been dating for three months, you know, who is all of a sudden like, am I, am I in this for light? Am I a monster if I walk away? I don't, am I, am I suddenly a part of this family because I just, you know, was here like, it just, it is a blessing when you have a long-term significant other. And I also will just say, I think it can be a blessing when when you are single, um, when something like this happens. But just the mental drain of the tiny practicalities, like there isn't someone at the hospital who gives haircuts. Again, I would think once a week, you got a haircut person that comes because of course people are gonna need this service. And now we've got to find a hairstylist who can come and give a haircut. It's just like, it's already been two and a half weeks. I don't know when last time he got a haircut is. He wants a haircut. He, he you know, you just don't want to look in the mirror. It's already hard. Oh, it's already hard enough to look in the mirror and just not look like yourself and just, you know, see your body changing because your muscles are atrophying, all of that. It's like the little things that you can do. Like, let's just get people a haircut. So yesterday, as I said, I was exhausted going through all of those details and just realizing that Honestly, there have been hours, so many days that we have invested. I mean, whether I was researching those shirts, which seems silly, but it also was important. The date, the the race is on a certain date. We need to order it within a certain amount of time. Like this is a deadline thing, and this has to do with energy and morale. And he he is craving that energy and morale. So it's not a silly thing, you know, to invest the time. But the time that you spend on FaceTimes and Zooms, I spent. Four hours on Sunday night updating, uh, writing a a four-page GoFundMe update with my sister-in-law and going back and forth and collaborating on it. And then we got locked out of the account and we're trying to figure out how to get back in. And it said it was going to take two days, but they were really wanting me to share on social to get the word out. But I didn't want to do that until there was, you know, more updates, all that, like even just filming and editing the reels that I went live with, which even that is a mental drain. And again, you have your own version of this, but I I didn't know what to, I couldn't think of any example I had seen where someone had posted a reels about a scenario. And yet I know that a reels is the way you are going to get the biggest reach on this platform. So if I'm really wanting to help this person, then I should be doing a reels. And I feel awkward about this. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it in 90 seconds. I I, can't, I wish I had some example. And I just thought, I, I can't sit here for an hour and torture myself trying to get this perfectly. I've literally got to do this in one take. So what? think through what you want to say. Open up the camera. Look at the clock. You've got 90 seconds. Just tell yourself, we, we, we are doing this. Like we are just getting through this because I can't spend an hour doing this. There's, I got to get onto the GoFundMe update. Like there's just got to be, you know, other things. And, you know, I also think with that as an aside, and I know this is a little bit niche, but I also know a lot of fellow entrepreneurs are in this audience. And, you know, we talk about content, 
content can sound like a really dirty word in the way a lot of people use it. And, you know, I've heard people say, you know, I don't don't want to be making content out of this, you know, scenario as though you're like, which I guess it makes sense. Again, if you think of that traditional influencer model where you were like, here's this tragedy. Now here's my like to know it link for the hospital scrubs I was wearing or something. Now it feels like you're like monetizing the situation. But but content, in in my case, and in the case of almost everyone that I follow, because I wouldn't be following them otherwise, is, is sharing empathy. Content is vulnerability. It's sharing wisdom. It's to connect with others, to receive help in rare cases where you are predominantly giving help. Like a sermon is content. A TED Talk is content. And you wouldn't say, oh, I can't believe how he talked in that sermon about how his loved one died this week. And yes, it can also feel, you know, icky and opportunistic in those, those other ways where it feels like someone is like monetizing it. But I am trying to be more myself on social media in this just, just recently, I feel like sort of like April one new season for a variety of reasons in my life, like fresh start, And I just have been feeling this pull to be more myself, which doesn't mean that I've been inauthentic at all. What I mean is less fearful, just just to be myself without editing myself from the fear that if I, that I don't say it quite perfectly enough or that someone could misinterpret it or that 10% of people aren't going to like it, which 10% of people are never going to like it. So then if I'm always operating from that place, I'm always holding back and then I am sharing less content which is helpful and resonant because I'm so fearful for the people that it's not going to resonate with. So I'm just having to say to myself, I have to trust that I have the wisdom and maturity to know when my heart is in the right place and that I am cultivating and inviting a community of people who are doing the same and that I've got to let go of the people that are looking to judge or eye roll because And I've even got to trust that maybe those people are not supposed to just unfollow if they don't like me. Like, you know how we're like, if you're here to judge, then just unfollow. I mean, yes, because we don't want that negativity. But I'm like, also, dear baby Jesus, can you give me the grace to allow myself to be criticized? Because maybe they need to be here because they need my help. Because me live living as an example that it is possible to live your life daily with less judgment of others because less judgment of others is often just judgment of ourselves which is a whole sermon for another day but just as one brief example going back to my ultimate core of what makes women feel beautiful when i judge your body and beauty i am almost exclusively judging mine in comparison for how I rank compared to your flat stomach and mine that isn't or your stomach that's bigger than mine that makes me feel better about my lack of flat stomach or it's just making me more fearful that others are judging me even if I'm not in that scenario and I'm like oh it's just a celebrity I'm looking at what they wear then am I still thinking when I just go out to brunch with my friends that people are thinking about what I wear so anyway soapbox on the side okay um number five um it becomes the only story or the dominant story. And even though if you are not right there on the ground, you do have other stories. The brother is moving, etc. But for the family on the ground, like 
That's all there is. And I imagine that it varies wildly based on the injury and illness. But in Aaron's case right now as a paraplegic, it is round the clock. All day long, he is booked with appointments and trainings and they're training the family to do this and they're educating the family on that and there's three different people in the room. Somebody's giving him a supplement. Somebody's doing this. Like, according to the family on the ground, it never stops. Someone sleeps with him every night because if he he had some chest congestion and he, he doesn't have the muscles in his core to be able to cough because those muscles are paralyzed, so he has to have someone assist him in coughing. And if he can't, it feels like he's choking and it's terrifying. And then he panics and he doesn't have enough control over the one arm that he does have a little bit of movement in to hit the call button. It's just like, oh, it's forking terrifying. So they are, you know, there overnight. There's just always something to do. You can't even have another conversation about anything else. There's no time. But then I also think of friends that have been in a coma for a long time when you're just sitting there and there's nothing to do and that that must be excruciating in a different way. It's less mentally taxing maybe. It's maybe more just miserably excruciating, mentally excruciating to be like this. There's nothing to talk about here, but we can't, it feels weird to talk about anything else when we're sitting in this hotel room or sorry, this hospital room. Um, It feels trivial to talk to his family there about anything else. It feels trivial to like take their time being like, let's tell you what we did this weekend. Like you feel like they don't have time. They are, they have so much on their plate they are trying to figure out. But then it also feels important to talk to Aaron about anything else. It's almost like I feel like the other people in the family, we just need to support them and giving them an outlet to talk to us about Aaron because they're there to support him. But then when we talk to Aaron, I am trying to rack my brain to talk, think of anything else, light and funny and whatever to talk about because I think he is in this reality all day and his brain must be exhausted from thinking about this. So like, you know, last night we uh, were on a impromptu Zoom, some of the siblings and like my brother-in-law was sitting in front of this wreath in their house and it kind of looked like a halo over his head and like I just kind of went off on that. I was like, I'm really loving this like halo look. We just kept joking like it kind of looks like this. It kind of it kind of looks like a lemon meringue pie. Like just anything to just be like act normal. Act say, say what you would say if you were just sitting around in a living room. But it's almost like work because we just want to ask him how he's doing. We want to ask about his treatments. We want that information. And when you're balancing, like, who do I ask more info from? Because uh, I'm trying to support them. Who do I distract because I'm trying to support them? And it just does become this dominant narrative. Um, number six, it's just like a random note that I want to throw out into the universe. I feel like there needs to be a software out there. And maybe my husband is the one to create this. For families in these situations, the volume... And I realize I got a higher volume because I'm so privileged to have this broader community and I got it all in one day because of I'm sharing on social media as opposed to like it organically getting out through word of mouth. But I also have to imagine you, you've got a big family, you've got a big social circle, you're part of a church, you, you got to write up in the local newspaper, whatever, you've got all these people reaching out to you. There is research to do on treatments and healing modalities. There are recommendations of books and podcasts and Instagram profiles. There are there are scriptures, there are data points, there's coordinating food and housing and figuring out what things cost and raising money and, and, and updating other people. And there's just like so much of it. And I feel like, so basically today my, cause I like basically processed my 
project manager yesterday, I was like, I didn't do anything on my list today. Like she's like, I, I figured that when I woke up and I saw the post that like that was going to be the day. And um, we had a brand new person starting our team yesterday and she reached out to me and was just like, hey, I'm really good at this stuff. Like I can take over the DMs I, and, and organize them on the back end for you. I can move it. To, so I like created a spreadsheet, got on a call with her, with Jeremy. Like we're, we're figuring it out. We got it color coded. We're trying to figure out how can we get all the information? How can we then pass it off to different people to do research and kind of divide and conquer? And then once we have the research and the price points, can somebody else in the family check his insurance? And that's making me feel purposeful today, not just to try to organize on behalf of a big family because of running my business. That's just what I do. I, I know how to organize projects. But also I'm wondering, is this something that we can provide to other families, you know, down the road? If somebody's a year from now was like Hillary Rushford's brother went through that and I'm like, hey, let me share the spreadsheet that we have, you know, here, here's what we found, make a copy, add your own things. But like, you know, it's just so much admin that I'm like, I feel like a software needs to exist that just has everything in one place. It's like, we've got to go fund me, but then separately we have a website for a meal train to try to get them meals. And then separately, we've got a Facebook group for, for updates and separately, we've got a WhatsApp group for the family. There's just, and now we've got this Google doc spreadsheet. There's just so much. Seven is finances and just access to healing. Um, again, we are just so Bless, it's not only just that he has health insurance, but it's realizing that the location you are in where, where you get injured can be so crucial to whether or not you have access to good treatment. And the last two states that he lived in, his family is just like, there was no good center around there. And so I, Hillary, completely believe, and I know I'm not alone in the family, that God sent him to Salt Lake City 18 months ago, just put it on his heart that he wanted to move this place where he had no friends, no family, just loved the outdoors there, felt like he wanted to move, and just so happens to therefore be at this, you know, great rehab facility. But the amount of questions after that that I just, I didn't even realize until Saturday night and even each day, the last couple of days, I've realized new elements of it. Like, he is in rehab for another seven weeks. When he gets out of rehab, he is... It is likely that he is still going to be in a wheelchair. Even if we have the miraculous healing story, it is unlikely he's going to be walking in seven weeks. And it may not even be a traditional wheelchair. It may be a motorized wheelchair if he doesn't have complete use of both of his arms. Again, we completely believe that that full healing is possible, but whether we will be at that stage in seven weeks may be a long shot. So then you're having to judge We don't know where he will be in seven weeks. We want to hold out in our minds the hope for complete healing, but we also want to try to be realistic enough to also be prepared when he leaves. And so we are aware that if he has this motorized wheelchair, he would need a bathroom that has been renovated for that. That means that you can't be a renter because you have to change the structure of a home. So do we have to buy a home in a a state where no one has a home, almost no one in the family even owns a home, or is someone, how are we affording to buy a home to then renovate a bathroom? How long does it take to renovate a bathroom? I, I understand now, Amanda Klutz was going through this with Nick when they were saying if he gets out of this hospital, which unfortunately he did not, he will be in a wheelchair and they were just doing renovations on their home. So she was like doing, okay, okay, let's renovate the bathroom for a wheelchair. And I have to imagine there were simultaneously conversations in her family of, do we allow her to spend the money to do this? 
if we don't yet know that he is coming home? We, do you just halt the renovations? Because they, they would just have me renovating their home. Do we halt the renovations? Do they have no bathroom in their home? Because we don't know whether or not to make it wheelchair accessible. Like that just the, the calls that you were trying to make and as you were trying to, uh, to figure out what to spend money on. I mean, in their case, they they got the 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 press coverage to end up I mean I think they'd raised like a million dollars on their GoFundMe and so being able to have that kind of money to play with is very different I think we've raised like twenty five thousand dollars you know I love home renovation shows I think it's like ten thousand dollars to redo a bathroom so the so when you're like do we spend that ten thousand dollars on a bathroom but then what do you you got fifteen thousand dollars are you buying a you're not buying a house with that like how do you even get to where we need to be in seven weeks and then if he's in this special motorized wheelchair it doesn't work in a traditional car so you have to have a specialized van which of course now you're not just talking about your average twenty five thousand dollar car you're talking about an incredibly rare expensive van if he in order to just take him every day to and from. PT and OT just to get him to his therapy not even because you're like wanting to go out and about and go to a restaurant or something but just to function on a daily basis like then add on top of that all of the holistic treatments that are being recommended acupuncture chiropractor hyperbaric oxygen chamber stem cell research supplements coaching specialized facilities that we should fly to that we should move to I mean we're so blessed to have all of this wisdom but I just kind of got paralyzed yesterday and I just said to Jeremy, everyone is saying that this stuff is time sensitive and we believe that these things work and we believe in complete and total healing, but, but how do we figure out what we can afford and what, so now we've got to do research to figure out what the price points are on these, what the best, and, and how do you prioritize what do you spend on in the next seven weeks to get him as far as he can be when he leaves rehab? And then what do you do if he leaves rehab and you have no place for him to live and no way for him to get to outpatient therapy? I mean, just what do you do financially? And I just think even just the fact that we have a big family, while it's a little cray in terms of communication, it does mean there's a lot of people trying to figure this out. Just the fact that you have one sister-in-law who has the community that I do online, most people don't have that. Like I recognize the privilege in that, that I even got all of this information and that I'm not the one right at the center and that I had even one day yesterday to give a whole day of work, that I have a couple hours each day to dedicate to this, that I have someone on my team that I'm paying to do this today in in instead of, you know, other stuff in the business. I mean, the, if I was an hourly worker, I, I may not have been able to afford to call out of work yesterday. I may not, you know, we may not have had this community even know this. And so, you know, somebody yesterday messaged and said, my advice, we've been here before, my advice is don't pay any of the medical bills, um, accept that you are going to declare bankruptcy and take all of the money in that GoFundMe and any money that you have and put it towards these holistic treatments to get him as healed as, as far as he can be the fastest. And I thought that sounded like really wise advice. I'm not giving you that advice, but I just was like, that that makes sense. Then two of the sisters were like, actually, I have experience in this. If you if you don't pay your medical bills, they they write it off. They are expecting that with such a large percentage, they write that off. Me, I'm like, wait, you cannot pay bills? Like, I didn't know that was a thing. It's never occurred to me to not do that. Like, not that I I would have, but like I just you realize just there's so much information to figure out. 
and priorities, the decisions that could impact a lifetime of someone's experience that are time sensitive. Who do you believe? Who do you delegate the research to? You know, how do you decide all of this? And and I remember reading Amanda Klutz's book about her experience with Nick. And I a big takeaway for me in that to Jeremy was, and I said to him at the time, if one of our loved ones is ever in the hospital or we are, I really felt like I took from that book that you have to be proactive. And that I previously would have said, the, do- the medical system knows what it's doing. They're the experts. Like, let's trust them. And I really got such a sense that you have to be the leader. You have to stay leaned in. It's not disrespectful in any way, but it's acknowledging they got a lot of clients. Everybody's story is going to be different. No one doctor or one facility is going to have all of the answers. And I've heard so many people share that. Um, My friend Mara um, had shared on her Instagram that she uh, was very proactive in trying to get her diagnosis for what ultimately became, was uterine cancer. And a lot of it is is like women's issues, I feel like, of my friends sharing where it's like she was just told, you know, oh, just at her age, she just, you know, it, it's just probably dry in, in her vaginal area. And that's why sex is painful. And, and she probably just, that's why her libido's low. It's just like, it's, it's just the, her age. And she was like, I, I don't think that's the pain that I'm feeling. And it's just like the, the amount of time she had to be believed that something was wrong before she finally was diagnosed with uterine cancer. I think Amy Schumer has shared similarly about, is it PCOS maybe or endometriosis, something like that that she had, that she was just like, I have spent years in excruciating pain trying to get somebody to tell me what was wrong with me. So I think just knowing that energy that all of a sudden you're just like, we have to, you know, advocate for this person. And then the last thing that I'll say is just, number eight, is just the power of faith and hope. And that in my brief research, literally on day one, it's like we got this story on Sunday night and I woke up on Monday morning. I can't actually remember now. On Sunday night, we heard he'd been, he was in an accident on his mountain bike. He'd been airlifted. He couldn't move from the neck down. But I think you're just in such shock. You're just like, okay, don't panic. Don't, don't, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. And so you're just kind of in shock. You wake up Monday morning and you're immediately thinking about it. We got the update, like he's going to get surgery. You're like, okay. And, and we FaceTimed with him because he was mentally fine. You were like, okay, he, okay. He seems okay. He's chatting with us. He's joking around. You're like, okay, this is going to be okay. I don't, I don't know. Like then he got surgery. Then it's like Tuesday. We knew he was having surgery. He got in early for surgery. That's good. Okay. And, you know, you just there's so much you don't know because you're not on the ground. And the family that's on the ground is so overwhelmed. It's hard for them to share. And then Tuesday night we got on a family Zoom, which is the first time in my seven years in the family that I've seen absolutely every single person on the Zoom, even in quarantine times, not everybody was on the Zoom. And they said the doctor had just come in and told them that he had a 1% to 2% chance of not being in a wheelchair and that just 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 no one saw that coming we just you again you just don't know what you don't know you don't know how to comprehend it so I don't know if it was Monday morning that I woke up or Wednesday morning that I woke up and I just started googling like what what are stories of healing what are stories of of the miraculous because if someone's in the one to two percent you can be in the one to two percent and um I just instantly came across so many stories so much research of like belief matters like google this for yourself but it was something like you know people who have a belief in god and believe in the power of prayer they live longer and they have higher rates of healing and 
I I think that that is saying that it even if you don't believe in religion, as I do, what you can take out of that, in my opinion, is how much the belief that you can be healed matters. Um, and then for those of us that are religious can also say we believe there's a spiritual component to that. But even if you remove that spiritual component, the belief matters. So many people have messaged us about Joe Dispenza. You can look up his books. It just so happens that was someone that multiple people in the family had read, which is really about the power of the mind to heal the body and all of the data and the research on that. Like it is not just spiritual, it is scientific. And I think we can all relate that, you know, if you are in this community, we are working on our our mindset, right? We want, we do not want it to be toxic positivity. We want it to stand up under scrutiny. We want it to be real and we want to have this positivity. And we can all relate that as much as you have a positive mindset, and, and, and I do, I have really worked on it and it has really worked, but you are still also going to sometimes have anxious, fearful, discouraging thoughts, Of course, because you aren't gaslighting yourself, because you aren't shoving down and be like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Like you're, you're honoring yourself and saying there is a chance that could happen. You're, you're right. You are correct. There is a chance that the worst could happen. There is a chance that this could not work out. Even a small thing, you know, you're like, hopefully that they aren't mad at me when they read that email. It's like, you know, there is a small chance that they could. You're not delusional. Like you're not overreacting. You've done the work. You you have mental and emotional health. And that's this community. That's the journey that we're on. But so you're still going to have those negative thoughts. And I just think the worst thoughts that cross my mind uh, that are that are realistic that are what I'm going through I don't mean just catastrophizing like what if what if the apartment building I'm in collapses today like I don't mean catastrophic I mean this is a situation that we're in this this legal situation that I'm in could not go well this this health situation that I'm in could not go well like so Aaron is right that he could not regain function regain independence regain I mean and so when I just think What I am working on in my mindset on a daily basis, it is times 10, it is times 100 what he is going through because his worst case scenario is so much worse. I mean, again, for so many of my friends, it's fertility. And I just think if your worst case scenario is that you aren't able to have children or your worst case scenario is I am a paraplegic. I can never live on my own again. I can never get dressed by myself. I can never, am I going to be able to work? I mean, you can see that comparing those two, you realize it is easier to picture a joyful, hopeful future and that God can change your heart and your desires and you can find fulfillment and meaning in other things. If you do not end up having children, you can find so many examples of that, et cetera, to picture this it's hard that it is hard to really tell yourself I am going to have joy and hope and a good future within this. And so it makes my brain hurt to imagine all that he is holding. And I can appreciate from a, from a sympathy versus empathy. And I think that's so important also that we can only really empathize with things that we have been in. And so I am sympathizing because I am imagining what it would be like to be in a scenario that million to one chance, I'm never going to be in. 
I mean, the odds that I too would end up in a situation where I have a neck injury and I too am a paraplegic, highly, highly, highly improbable. So I will not ever be able to empathize with what Aaron's going through. I can sympathize because I'm using my imagination, but there is nothing I've gone through that in my bones I can relate to. Where there's other things where you would say, I haven't been through that, but I've been through a different circumstance that had a similar route. And that's what we've been talking about on my Instagram, these and in this community and on this podcast the last nine months, where I said I'm not sharing the details and the circumstances, but the feelings of the of the um, grief are the same. That we can empathize on. But that's because we're not talking about, at least for me, I'm not talking about not being able to live on your own and, and, and just, you know, just all of the like worst case scenarios you can think of. And so there's a humility also that only those who have been there, therefore, and, and can empathize will really be able to connect with, um, with him. And so wanting to, to get him on the phone and talking to those other people. But I also just want to empathize, emphasize if you are in this caregiver role that I just had no, again, if you're in this first, you know, circle one, one and a half, two, whatever, I just had no idea how many families had been here until yesterday. And as I said, this is just one type of injury. I was only hearing about people who had been through spinal cord injuries. I wasn't hearing about brain injury and and cancer and so many different things. So if I had just opened it up to any of that, I'm like, is it everyone? Is everyone who fought? I mean, I guess it's not everyone because I still haven't been in, I have not been in the first or second circle of any of those stories. But if this many people have been there just with a traumatic brain injury, goodness, there have to be so many people if we expand it to all of those things. And it just makes me aware that our bodies are miraculous, that healing is miraculous, the amount of stories and the way that the body can heal is miraculous. And... Um, I don't have a perfect conclusion here as I get to the end. I guess I just want the caregivers to be seen because I feel like I'm in this seat where I am not right in the center. Um, I am I am close enough to have empathy, but also one step removed to be able to say, I see you and I honor you. I am not, I am not you. I am near to you. And I just, I always feel like that's an important place to speak from because sometimes it is hard to speak right from the center. And if you are too far removed, then you don't feel like you can understand it. And so my my prayer is just that this has made um, someone feel seen today and that you share this with someone that you feel needs to hear it and that, you know, maybe two years from now you are listening to this and um, are so grateful that someone sent this to you to just... Because I know for me, when I'm in things that are unique and not a lot of people have gone through, I just, I give me all the podcasts, give me all the long podcasts, give me all of the details. I am just drinking them up like water because you just want to feel like someone can relate and it can be such a lonely space to be in. And that is my heart today. And if that is you, I just send you so much love. And if you know someone that uh, that is them, 
please share this with them and please just continue to love on them. And I hope that something in here has given you um, a little bit more ability to, to sympathize and empathize um, and to love them well. To love one another well. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is the connections that have come out of this. And that's probably why the ending of the podcast was sort of awkward because I didn't really think about wrapping that part up because my brain is so tired. And I feel like this is really kind of the, the, the conclusion that should be here. So to me, that's three elements. First is the strangers who want to share because they have been there. And friends, I just think that is a that is such a special and a holy place to be in when we have gone through pain and grief and loss and there is just a human instinct to say, I feel that there is a purpose to my pain when I can reach out to someone else and say, I have been here before and here's what I was so grateful someone told me. Here's what I wish I had known. Um, Just again, what I hope this episode is for someone in my unique vantage point we have heard from other people that are, you know, able to say, I- I've got Aaron's vantage point if you want to connect us. I have the mother vantage point if you want to connect us. I have the wife vantage point, which, you know, while Aaron is not married yet, I think is, you know, the is the inner circle of the siblings that are there and on the ground. You know, the, the sibling that may be the primary caretaker going forward. Um, and I just, I've just been so... I've I've exchanged multiple voice messages in the last 24 hours with women I didn't know. I don't know if they were even following me yesterday. I don't know if they just heard about it through a friend. I have no idea. But I could just, I could tell from their message, there's just an earnestness. And I knew that they were there and they were like, you can text me. And I just instantly was like, okay, I'll text you. I don't know who you are, but thank you. The other is the strangers that have no connection They just live life doing unto others as they would have do unto them. And I think it's beautiful to me because I will be honest that 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 is a lot of the posture that I walk through life with. But, you know, I do it in my ways. Like I I am a a really great friend in a crisis. Um, I... I will, if, if, if your dad is dying, I will be the friend that keeps checking in and following up and, and all of that. Like, I just, I don't know. I just, that's just my natural inclination. I'm not really being like, you know what I'd like someone to do for me. I'm just like there. Um, keeping in touch on a regular basis, not so great at, but, but in the hard, in the high highs, like I am your hype girl. You're about to have a baby. You are about to get married. Like I am there. I'm like one month to your wedding. Happy gift, happy gift. Like I just like, I want to be your hype girl. Those are my like do unto other moments. I just think like in grief and in celebration, like we need people to be there. And if we're only there in grief, then it feels like, gosh, hard things need to happen in order for me to feel like people really show up for me, you know? Um, But you might be the opposite. You might be there. You might be the person that is there in the daily. You're not so good at the hard and you're not so good at the high, but like you're there in the daily and we need those people. And um, there's just certain issues that like whenever someone DMs me, like I will send 
10 minutes of one minute at a time with my thumb voice messages back to someone I have never met who has never messaged me because she left some comment and was like, my mother just died. And I'm like, I just, I just feel like, you know, you need a lot. Like, I just want to give that to you. And I think maybe that's part of me knowing the privilege that I have with the community I have that if, as in this, when something like this happens, the amount of support that I get back is not what the average person gets. And so I think I guess I never thought about it this way, but I think part of me then goes above and beyond when I have the ability to in DMs because I just know when I'm in your shoes, I'm going to get so many messages. And that's just, it's not fair that I get like more, more of that love and support just because of what my job is, you know? Um, But anyways, what I don't have to give is a four bedroom home 20 minutes away from the hospital. The, the rehab facility um, that's an Airbnb that is obviously a source of income for this family and thousands of dollars a month that they would be getting. And someone that I don't know, she's a friend of a friend. I don't even know if she followed me or if my other friend messaged her and was like, hey, I know you're in Salt Lake City. My friend Hillary just posted this. I, I, I don't know. I just, she was like, you can have our home for a month starting in a week. And I just started sobbing and I just let, like immediately left her this video message back. And I was just like, thank, thank you. Like, this is just, to ha- I mean, to have a stranger give you a gift of thousands of dollars to a family that's trying to figure things out financially, like that's just the, the gift of a four bedroom home, which means that everyone can stay in one place. Like we've got my sister who's there sister-in-law who's there permanently, my parents-in-law who are there permanently, and then at least one other family member that's rotating in, to have everybody be able to be in one place for a month and like the few, the little bits of time that everybody is maybe home, just be in one place and not be separate and the only place you see each other is at the hospital. Like that is such a gift. And I just heard her say to someone, to, she, she, oh, she posted, then she posted on her stories about our meal train and, um, then she said, I've also offered up, I've offered them my Airbnb, of course. She said, I'm just doing unto others as I would have done unto me. And I just thought like, that just, that's so beautiful. And I just am so grateful. And I, I, and I, I want you to hear that if you have done that for some other family. I don't just mean that for our family. I mean, who have you done that for in your life? And you showed up in the way that you could show up. There's, um, I don't know if you know Christy Wright on Instagram. She's coordinating Easter baskets for the families at the Covenant School in Nashville this weekend. And she's just, I don't know her. She's friends of friends. I just saw her on Instagram and I just thought she is showing up as as a Nashville mom in the way that she would want other Nashville moms, you know, to to show up for her and just bring joy to their 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 children that are still on this earth while they are grieving the loss of another child. I mean, um, actually, no, I think it was for all the covenant family. So it wasn't just those that lost a loved one. It was just knowing they're all grieving and processing it. Just here is something that all those moms had on their to-do list this week was to make Easter baskets for the kids. And we can just, you know, take that, that off. It's just so beautiful. And then the final part of connection is, you know, we have had, it is within the family and maybe that for you as family and friends, maybe it's church or communities or coworkers, coworkers, but you know, I, I, in the last week, I've had two, week and a half maybe, I've had two one-hour phone calls with my father-in-law. 
And I would just never previously have called him and just been like, hey, do you want to just talk and tell me what's happening in your life? Like, and I don't, I don't know if he would, I don't think he would have allowed even for, for an hour that was just about him, just about, I want to pour into you. I want to support you. I want to hear what you're going through. I want to give you space to process. I want to give you encouragement and affirmation and resources and like, just to be able to support him in that way. Um, it's not even just the connection, but like the depth of connection to know that he has a need and to just imagining he's, he's home by himself for a week while my mother-in-law is up in Utah. They are out of state and I'm just thinking he's, he's home by himself tonight. He's probably just going home after work. So like, let's just keep him company, you know, like just knowing that need and being able to fill it. We had a zoom last night with, with two sister-in-laws that would just never have normally happened. We just wouldn't have texted them. Hey, are you free to hop on a zoom right now? But like, because I wanted to update them with what was happening, but then it just allowed us to spend an hour on zoom connecting with them and connecting with, with Aaron and, you just, you wouldn't normally have that. And I think that acknowledging the beauty that comes out of that, um, that, that it's, there is such incredible loss and pain for the person individually. Like Aaron is going through something so isolating and lonely because as much as everyone wants to support him, no one else can truly get it. And yet he is also incredibly benefiting from seeing all of his people love him. I mean, he's getting to see more of his siblings in, you know, now and over the next year, he will spend more time with his parents and his siblings than there is any way on earth. He would have spent 5% of that time in, in the next year. And so just seeing that, again, you would not wish it to happen. It does not mean it is enough good to outweigh the bad, but you also do see the good of it. And so we are going to celebrate the good. It does not diminish the bad. Um, it is not that toxic positivity. We can deeply grieve and mourn and we can also see the good. So if that was your story, if that is your story, I just hope that you will give gratitude today for any of those connections that you made with strangers or getting more time with your loved ones. Um, it's such a gift. And I'll just say for anyone who's listening in real time, just thank you for anyone that I have not messaged back yet, but thank you for every message that you have sent and for continuing to share. Um, again, please share this episode, not to raise awareness for Aaron. I mean, share this episode to show love to caregivers because there is someone in your mom's group on Facebook, there is someone in that WhatsApp group you are in, there is someone on your your personal Instagram stories that is a caregiver and has been or has been in, in this situation that I just, I'm guessing just maybe hasn't been seen. Um, and I just want to, um, I just want to say that I see you and we are so new to this journey and this club and I've no idea what the road ahead holds, but um, I just wanted to share as soon as I could, as soon as I saw how many other families were out there, um, that I just, who I heard from mostly was the caregivers and being in this circle one and a half, a little bit on the sidelines that was just my takeaway from yesterday was there are so many caregivers and I don't see you on a, on a regular basis because I just haven't been you. You aren't in my world. It doesn't, it doesn't mean I diminish you. I just, 
I am, I am getting to see you more and I acknowledge therefore that anyone who hasn't been you doesn't always see you and just how much you've sacrificed and just how much it weighs on you. Even, even just last night talking to one of the sisters, the sister was there, that was there first, the other sister joked like, you know, she needs therapy ASAP, like to, to her on the call, you know, just being like what you went through was the greatest of the trauma. And she was like, yeah, I know I need to get in therapy. You know, we were sort of laughing about it, but also like, yeah, there is a whole trauma there. And you might be hearing this years after it happened and realizing you didn't fully process it, or there is just still more healing for you to do that. You're still carrying it today, that it still impacts you today. And maybe you still need to be in therapy or be in a community. If you are in our Elegant Excellence community and this resonates with you, there is so much, so many medical stories happening um, over there prior to this. Um, And so please come share, let us just love on you and support you and connect you with other caregivers and help you feel seen. So I will see you over on Instagram and Instagram stories and back here next Wednesday with Grace and Gumption. You're welcome. Till next Wednesday.